The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome. I'm I'm Dr. Suzanne Phillips, your host on this show. And today we're going to be looking at many life issues from a psychological perspective. To do this, I want to include you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in and call in with questions, comments to today's show at 1-866-472-5788. You know, no matter how old we are, most of us can relate to the challenges, fears, and insecurities of the teen years. It's a time when expectations outpace life experiences, and the points of reference for what seems to be true are colored by family, local neighborhood, schools, and the constant bombardment of social media and airbrushed images of the beautiful, the famous, and often the notorious. Actually, there's a tremendous amount to like and love about teens. How do we help them know that? How do we help them embrace the best of themselves? Our guest today is coming to us from Canada, and she's going to be addressing this question and more. Cheryl Bradshaw is an expert speaker, psychotherapist, and the author of How to Like Yourself, A Teen's Guide to Quieting Your Inner Critic and Building Lasting Self-Esteem. I've said to Cheryl that if there's any book that I think a teen would pick up and not put down, this is the book. She's a counselor and therapist at the University of Guelph and works in private practice. Her background with teens also includes teaching as well as involvement with youth mental health awareness, empowerment, and leadership in educational institutions across Canada. Cheryl Bradshaw, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Well, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. So, Cheryl, actually, what motivated you to write this book? So, this book started actually as a kind of a a growing project. Um, So, what I was finding was that at the university, I was working with students um, who this, this topic came up a lot, this uh, this phrase I would hear from students all the time of, you know, I just don't like myself, I don't like myself at all, um, kept coming up. So I was looking for a resource that I could give to students in between our appointments because sometimes at the, uh, at the institutions the appointments can get a little bit spread out. So I like to give people stuff to 
work on in between. So I started looking around for a resource, something that would um, work for them and speak to them, and I just kept coming up empty-handed. I found a lot of resources for um, older adults. I found some more spiritual or transcendent kind of um, books that were more about, um, you know, loving yourself and finding that inner peace. But, you know, it's really hard to get to that, you know, transcendence place of loving yourself when you haven't even decided if you like yourself. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't find anything on this topic of liking yourself. So I started to just put together some kind of packages about um, little tidbits that, you know, I could think of and come up with and exercises and things to think about. So I put a bunch of these things together and I figured I'd just, you know, type it up and photocopy it and staple it together and hand it out to students. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it just, I kept getting really excited. And then I'd, you know, be like, oh, I should also put this down and I'd write some more. And then, oh, I should also put this in and I'd write some more. And suddenly it started to get really, really long and uh, <laughs> ended up being it's a book. Great. It's great. It's great. One of the things I like, um, Cheryl, about the beginning is you actually normalize the fact, you sort of normalize the fact that most people are really not taught to like themselves. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, why don't young people, why didn't any of us like ourselves as teens? It's such a, it's such an interesting thing. You know, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I talk to people about this, I'm getting the same response from young people, parents, oldest people, everyone that I've told about the book of, you know, yeah, like, we, no one really talks about this. There's no real how-to manual like, like this book. Um, so I think, you know, I write in the book about um, all the different influences that we do have um, that are, you know, pretty, you know, they have their own agendas. So, you know, schools are, are great for so many different um, avenues of education where, you know, they teach about um, how to work in groups and, you know, factual information and knowledge about the world. And, you know, our parents will teach us about manners and, you know, there's all of these these things that we learn, but they're usually about how to interact in our external world because that's what other people see. And so that's what they, you know, are. it's much easier to comment on and, and to guide people on the external world. But it's this mm-hmm. internal world, this internal dialogue and relationship that we have with ourselves that I think maybe because no one sees it, you know, it's not visible to the, the naked eye that, it doesn't really come up as something that needs to be explicitly taught, but it really, really is. Like, it's just so important that this is, like, really taught from a step-by-step and a, and a breaking-it-down kind of way because it's the number one person that you spend you spend 100% of your time with yourself, more than any other person you'll ever have in your life. Mm-hmm. I know one of the things you start out is by asking young people to describe what a best friend would be like and then you invite them to be their own best friend. Now, I pictured teens I've worked with saying to you, well, that's nice. But the reality is everyone, all the girls I hang out with, or all the guys, they're actually better than me. And they begin to list everything wonderful that they see on everyone's Facebook pages. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's kind of this dual world of, you know, we see our own um, internal world, our, our ups and downs and, and all the dull moments in between. And we see everyone else's external world, their highlight reel. So it's, it's, yeah, it can be very difficult to kind of think about how to compare yourself to 
um, other people and, and, you know, figuring out what, what does, how do you fit? What does it all look like? How does it all come together? Mm. So this concept you mentioned of, you know, being your own best friend is, is probably one of the most important things because when our inner voice kind of gets going inside of our own head and it goes unfiltered, no one hears it but us, it's really hard to think about, you know, what's appropriate to be saying to ourselves and what's not. And this kind of critical inner voice that I talk through through the main chunk of the middle of the book is really important, this, this critical inner voice we all have. It's something in our brains called a, a negativity bias, which is evolutionarily it has developed to make humans the successful race that, that we are today. It's what has driven us to always develop more and do more and never be satisfied. And that's how we have all these inventions and technology and all these things, right? So we all have this little piece of our brain that specifically requires us to be critical and negative of of our surroundings and of our life. But the problem is when that goes unchecked on that unfiltered inner world, then that's where this critical inner voice can, can create this really negative internal world um, that can that can really damage that relationship with yourself and then that self-esteem, self-confidence and self-compassion suffer um, without checking in on what's happening in there. Mm. And I know you speak about these different traps that that inner voice really gets us hooked into, like uh, if I'm not perfect, then I'm horrible. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if I didn't make the team, well, then I'm worthless yeah, if mm-hmm. I miss if I miss the note in the concert, everyone around me is going to hate me, and mm-hmm. the the whole idea um, that one of the things you do in the book is how do you invite young people to question those those kind of traps, that kind of thinking? Absolutely. So the thought traps that I talk about in the book are um, from that psychological perspective um, uh, called in a fancy term, is called cognitive distortions, um, whereas I call them thought traps because cognitive distortions is really hard to understand and remember. <laughs> and what they are is just these traps. It's where your brain gets caught in these um, thought processes that, I, again, originally they're set up to help you kind of think faster, do things faster, the same as a lot of the ways we, we think. But, again, when they go unchecked, they can really cause some uh, some heartache and some uh, anxiety and, you know, low mood and all of those things. So um, I talk about there's the all or nothing thinking, which is that I'm perfect or I'm a failure. Um, there's that overgeneralization, which is that, you know, if one thing sucks, everything's going to suck forever. Um, there's that disqualifying the positive, which is that whole, you know, well, that didn't count anyway. There's jumping to conclusions, which is whatever you're thinking, whether it's the fortune teller uh, foreseeing the future or that mind reading. You can just tell what's going on in someone's head that, you know, of course I'm right. There's the catastrophizing, which is that, you know, whatever's happened, it's the end of the world. There's the emotional reasoning, which is, you know, I'm, I'm sad, so, so if I'm sad, therefore life must, you know, truly suck. Then there's the should statements, which are sort of the trickiest ones, which is, you know, anything that has the word should in it um, literally just makes you feel guilty. That's the only thing that the word does um, that in and of itself is a trap. So the first step into being able to kind of change those things is to start to get familiar with what they sound like. 
So the book goes through a couple different examples of what they sound like and common times that these different categories will pop up. And then you just start to kind of listen in on your own thoughts. And, and when you do notice your mood is getting anxious or your mood's going low, what are you thinking? And, you know, what do those thoughts sound like? And, you know, maybe there's one of these that's at play there. And then you start labeling them and noticing them, um, which is the first step towards making change in, in those types of thought traps as they happen. Mm. One of the things, and I think that that's so true, once you can name something and go, oh, that's that general overgeneralization, or if, if you really start to take seriously knowing some of these traps, it just gives you a little bit of distance. One thing you, mm-hmm. you give such, such a nice example, and I thought you said maybe replace that in a critic once you start identifying these things with a nice coach's voice. And I, I had sons who played basketball, and I will tell you, when they had a coach who would pull the team around them and say, what is wrong with you? No one knows the plays. You could see the, everybody's body language just showed, oh, my God, it could never possibly motivate better play. But when you heard the coach saying, it's only one ball, you can do it, you are all got it, I like what I'm seeing, everybody started playing differently. So I think when we carry a voice that says, okay, so you know what? She didn't invite me to the party. Uh, there's somebody else that I can call. I know it takes time and work, though, and that's one thing you, you do it, let young people know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that takes some time to, to change and develop, um, like any habit that you that you might develop, whether it's biting your nails or, you know, one of the examples I talk about in the book is something I call the arm crossing exercise, which is this really neat thing. You could even do it right now if you're listening in on on, uh, this podcast right now, is if you take your arms right now and just cross them in front of you and just quickly glance down and look at which arm kind of fits on top naturally, how you kind of naturally fall into that pose of crossing your arms and just relaxing into that pose. Now you want to uncross your arms and then kind of shake it out. And now here's the tricky part is I want you to go back now and cross your arms, but do it the other way, the way that you don't normally do it. And what usually happens is when I'm doing this in, you know, a session with a student or someone, this is where the brain starts to like slow down and cramp up and freak out. And, and some people give me this sort of bewildered look. Some people break into laughter. Some people almost get a little bit mad that they can't do it. You know, there's all of these, different um, different responses I see in people and, and some people try it and then they do it wrong and then, and, you know, it goes back and forth. So mm-hmm. once they finally get it and you're holding your arms in that position, then usually I hear from people, oh my God, that feels so weird. Like, this isn't how I do this. Why is, you know, oh my gosh, I just want to go back to how I've always done it. So in order to kind of change any habit, your brain will usually respond in this sort of big way of wanting you to just go back to how you've always done it, telling you that this is weird and awkward and you're, you know, you shouldn't do it this way. So those are all very natural responses to changing one of these habits. And it, and it really does take time. If you were to, to cross your arms the other way for a week or two, and literally every time you went to do it, you checked in and, and did it the other way, it would start to feel a lot more normal after that week. Would it still come completely normal? No, it would probably take even longer than that. But, yeah, it, it will It will change. I mean, if I was doing this in front of you right now, you could watch me. I just flip-flop in between one and the other now because I do this so often with people. 
I don't even have a dominant arm anymore. But that's how long it can take to really change those natural habits um, that we develop over time. Mm-hmm. And so it is. It's it does. Most people will say, "Oh, that's kind of fluky or whatever." The power of positive thinking or changing to a much more uh, a good friend voice inside or a nice coach voice inside. But actually, everything we know from research tells us that when you actually focus on things you know you love, you're good at, even if it's not what everybody else loves, generally you get more creative. If all you're thinking is, I wasn't invited, that's where you're thinking and that's where you're going to stay unhappy. But if you start thinking, there's got to be other people. I love movies. Who would want? You begin, it's broadening and expansive. And it sounds like, you know, it's easy for me to say, but we, we know when people try, I'm sure you've seen and I've seen, actually they can very much change how they respond to the world and how the world responds to them. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, you know, there's so much power in, in sort of thought and, and positive thoughts. And, you know, if you look at almost any counseling and psychology research every single approach comes back to this inner dialogue that we have going inside of our heads. Every single, whether you're looking at cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative therapy, um, you know, anything and everything all has this root in what we say to ourselves and how we say it and the thoughts that we have. So, you know, everything you hear that's all splashing across the news in terms of mental health, in terms of resilience and grit and these types of things, those are all code words for how do you speak to yourself and how do you get through tough situations? Mm-hmm. And that all comes back to that inner voice and that inner dialogue. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about believing things are true just because we hear it a lot and where forgiveness fits in. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We were here with Cheryl Bradshaw. She's the author of How to Like Yourself, A Teen's Guide to Quieting Your Inner Critic and Building Lasting Self-Esteem. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. We're speaking with Cheryl Bradshaw, and she's the author of How to Like Yourself, A Teen's Guide to Quieting Your Inner Critic and Building Lasting Self-Esteem. We were just talking about trying out new habits. We were trying it with a, with a technique for arm crossing and the whole idea of being more positive. But I know young people out there may be thinking, yeah, but what's true is true. You know, in school you hear... You hear about the kids who are the captains of the teams, the first violin uh, player. You hear about the girl. You see Facebook pictures of people going on dates, and I've never dated. And so, well, these things are true, right? And I wondered, Cheryl, if you could talk about how we get to these crazy conclusions. All of us do. Absolutely. So there's something in the book that um, I talk about, and it's, it's something called the availability heuristic. And that's a really fancy term that basically just means that what you hear and see most often must be true, right? So this is, again, one of the ways that our brain gives us this sort of shortcut that it thinks is going to be really helpful, the shortcut in sort of interpreting the world around you. And so oftentimes these shortcuts can be helpful in sort of getting things done faster in your life, but sometimes they come around and to bite you in the behind, as it were. So the availability heuristic is this um, way that your brain just gathers all the information that it sees around it most often and then decides that, well, that must be what's 100% true and, and there's no other alternative. So the example I give in the book is around, you know, plane flights, which is in the news you're going to hear far more often about planes that, you know, have accidents or don't land safely, then you're going to hear about, you know, the thousands and thousands of flights that land safely every day. So because your brain gets most of its information around plane flights with accidents that happen that are actually statistically super, super rare, your brain goes, oh my goodness, planes must be really dangerous. And so this is where you get a lot of people having fear of of flying um, Mm. because of this availability heuristic. So how this happens then in your social life is if you have, um, you know, if you happen to be in a situation where you have someone who's really hard on you in your life and, and tells you maybe something about yourself that 
isn't very nice or very helpful or you know, you have a parent who's really hard on you or a coach or a um, someone else that you know that's sort of just really tough on you and can give you some negative feedback, you might you might kind of have your brain collect this information and then, well, this is, you know, what I hear about most often, so it must be true. And then the other way that this kind of can happen is, yes, around sort of especially social media where everyone posts their highlight reel and so it seems like, you know, everyone's going on that super awesome vacation and, you know, this person got a new car and, and that person went to this awesome party and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Suddenly it feels like everyone's doing things and you're not um, all coming back to that availability heuristic. Mm. It, it happened actually with one young woman who um, kept saying she's the only person who doesn't have an exciting life and what is wrong mm-hmm. with her. And and then somebody confided into her that she was having a lot of trouble, the person she was dating wasn't working out. And the next day she looked at Facebook and that person had all these positive pictures posted and she thought, I can't believe it. I know she's not really happy at the moment, but anybody looking at this Facebook page would never know it. And I sort of said to her, Facebook pages are like a brochure. Um, you know, you can go to a hotel, eventually get there and go, whoa, this is nothing like the brochure. So sometimes they make people feel good about themselves, but mostly they don't. Um, and so I think what you're saying is so true. Also, sometimes you are at a high school where sports is it, and you're really a wonderful musician. And it's sometimes not till you get to college or to another place or join a band where you think, Wow, these people value what I love. So I, I I like what you're saying, Cheryl, because often we decide what's true based on, as you're saying, what we hear all the time and what we hear from social media or from the family or, or the neighborhood. And then we realize, whoa, I was judging myself all along by something that really wasn't true. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a really good motivator to think twice about taking in negative messages or not taking a look at the best of you. Now, you say very quickly in the book that you know your, your readers are going to be surprised, but that forgiveness plays a part in building self-esteem. How does that work? So this is sort of a really interesting part of the development of this book is I actually started writing the book with the, the middle section. So the book's broken down to three sections, it's broken into the past, the present, and the future. And I started writing in the present, of course, as most of us sort of start there in our day-to-day, as would be normal. Um, but then I started, you know, as I was working with students, if we only started talking about today and what's wrong today and how to make changes today, a lot of these young people were... It, it just wouldn't stick. It wasn't sticking. It didn't feel right. And this was because they were carrying a lot of anger and disappointment and regret and resentment all directed towards themselves. So when, you, when you're usually at a point in your life where you're, you're kind of wanting to read a book like a, a how-like-yourself kind of book, usually that's an indication for yourself that things aren't going quite the way you wanted them to go right now. And when you think backwards, usually there's some things that have happened along the way that are still sitting with you and that they're still 
on your mind and whether, you know, you replay them over and over or, you know, you're harboring that resentment or that anger or whatever's going on until you come to that place of calm and acceptance and not necessarily like it's a-okay and awesome that it all happened, but that it, it's this sort of just radical acceptance that, yeah, it did happen, then it can be really hard to have this stuff about, you know, changing your inner voice and stuff stick because you're just still so angry um, and, and upset before you can even get there. So that's where the forgiveness really comes into place is it's, it's forgiveness for yourself around things that you may have done. Um, it's forgiveness to situations and people that might be in your life um, that might be, you know, something bad that happened that whether it was an abusive situation or bullying or, um, you know, something else along those lines, it's sort of, it goes through a really different way of thinking about forgiveness. And I think what people, you know, this layman's term of what forgiveness is, which when I talk, first bring up forgiveness with people, they're like, no, that's silly. And and once we start to getting into what the definition really is versus what I think people expect it to be um, and the way it's talked about offhandedly in, you know, movies and TV shows and, you know, amongst superficial conversations, it's very different and it's a very different feeling. And it's not just putting your thumbs in the air and saying, all right, everything's good now. It's a, it's a very different process um, of understanding um, how your life's gotten to where it is and why and, and just accepting that this is where you are today and regaining control of your, your present um, and, and this idea of the past is really frozen in time. It's a story that's been written thus far, but you have the pen in your hand for today and you get to decide where you go next. Mm-hmm. So in one case, um, so a high school senior um, starts to date someone, um, a, man, a young man, and um, she thinks he likes her, and he and actually becomes quite a sexual exploiter, and then doesn't date her anymore, and she thinks, starts talking about her, and she hates him, but she mostly hates herself because she feels like, what kind of, what, how stupid was I to trust this guy? Um, now everyone is going to think, you know, I'm trash. It was my fault. Uh, um, he's not the type of person who's going to apologize. How am I supposed to go forward? So what would we say to her? So this is actually one of my, like, secret favorite parts of my book that I talk about, um, which is probably one of the hardest bits to wrap your head around, but it comes up again and again throughout the whole book and, and basically really through, through your whole life. Um, and it's a theory I have uh, written and, and put together that I call uh, personal yield theory. And yield theory originally was uh, developed by uh, Dr. Christian Conte. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. And um, it was a, an approach actually for therapists to use in difficult counseling situations where the person you're supposed to help is someone whose lifestyle is, you know, completely against your own personal morals and, and values, um, usually high-risk offenders. Um, child molesters, you know, people that are really difficult to get inside their brain and, and help 
you know, get them from where they are to where they're going. Um, as the first, you know, rule of counseling is to meet the person where they're at. So yield theory was about then for therapists to understand how to understand how another person might have gotten to this very difficult, challenging, not very strong morals kind of place in their life. And what I've done is in learning about this and thinking about it more and more is, wow, like this actually extends to each one of us, you know, not just for high-risk offenders, but for, you know, Susie in grade six who, you know, is in this place of, for instance, not not liking herself or, or this high school student that you're referring to in your example of having just been in a really tough relationship and and gotten in a bit of a bad spot and, and now holding this, you know, belief about herself that she's not, you know, good enough and she should have done better and she should have been smarter and responded faster and, you know, all of these things we can start mm. to judge ourselves on. So the personal yield theory is about every single person is born with a certain set of genetics, biology, circumstances, socioeconomic status, um, people in their lives, situations, cognitive capacity, Everything that can add together to make a person who they are, if you were to go through anyone else's circumstances, you would be exactly who that person is in that moment if you had every single thing line up exactly the same as they had. So when you reflect this on yourself, this personal yield theory, it's about turning inwards and looking at your own life journey and seeing that even if you're not in a spot where you necessarily like in your life right now, you're there for a reason. You've had things in your life add up. You've had certain situations where you've had to make a decision. And because time is linear and it goes in a straight line at any given moment in time, when you're faced with a decision or a new thing that you have to do in your life, you can only make one decision at a time. You can only choose one thing at a time. So the choice you make at that moment in time is therefore the only choice you could have made. If you could have made another one, you would have made that one. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. when you think about when, you know, for this example of your high school student that um, got in this really tough relationship and didn't feel she reacted the best that she could, this is about creating that compassion for yourself that you're not going to always be able to be perfect and you're, you're kind of struggling through life not knowing the next step until you're already there. And so by the time you've made a decision, you look backwards and maybe it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to, or you, quote, should have known better, end quote. Um, That's really not a fair thing to say to anyone, because if you did know better, you would have done something differently, but you just didn't know, right? So it's that hindsight is twenty twenty trap. Right, right. So if I look at it, if I'm that young girl, then I can Mm -hmm. say, um, I was too... Too stupid to read the cues, but maybe for whatever reason, that's how I read it at the time. I can't change it, but in the future, I think I might be more cautious with someone who comes on like this young man. So if Mm -hmm. I give myself the compassion to say, in that moment in time, I made a decision because I thought it was okay for whoever I am, for whatever, however I grew up or whatever. But it doesn't mean I have to torture myself or beat myself up. Now I can learn and go on. Exactly. And it's really about redirecting instead of beating yourself up for the past, 
and this is where that forgiveness piece comes up, is it's not about trying to think about going backwards and what you would have done differently and all that stuff. It's about, all right, that happens. Understanding and accepting the reasons why that might have happened in your life and then saying, all right, maybe not how I would have liked things to turn out, but they happen for a reason. And now that I've gone through it, this is what I'm going to now do differently if faced with something like that again in the future. You know, what fits in with this is one of the things you say uh, in the book, which is your 80-20 rule, which is so true no matter what, how old you are, which is, you know, 20% of life is what happens to us, but 80% is really our response to it. Exactly. And this is... Um, Really, you know, near and dear to my heart, actually, it's uh, something my father used to say as we were growing up all the time, and I used to kind of, as you do, roll your eyes a little bit and be like, sure, Dad, of course, you know. But when you really think about it, I mean, it's just, it's so true. There's there's a huge chunk of life, a full 20% of life that is really outside of our control of, you know, where we're born and who's in our family and circumstances, people moving, people passing away. Like, there's... Things that are going to happen, we literally cannot control. There's, there's nothing that can be done. But then from there, this is the bigger, the way bigger piece of it is this 80% of what you, what do you do next? And mm-hmm. how do you react? And how do you learn from what's happened? And then how do you use that to help create the future that you want to create for yourself? And you're doing that in a partnership with yourself, I know it sounds like we're all talking about two people here, but you really are. There's two of you happening at all times. Mm-hmm. And um, you're going through life in this partnership with yourself, and that's why your relationship with yourself is really just so important. I've said to people who face with these kind of situations, well, you can, okay, it happened, this person was a predator, or this person was not okay. Now the question is well, how much time are you going to give that person in the rest of your life? And how much more consequence are you going to suffer from this? Because you you really have the permission to move on. And it's just what you and your dad said, you know, in terms of how you respond makes all the difference in your next step in the future. We're going to have to take a quick break. Um, we've been speaking with Cheryl Bradshaw. She's the wonderful author of How to Like Yourself, A Teen's Guide to Quieting Your Inner Critic, and building lasting self-esteem. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset? Your home. Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. the Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel. From maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We've been talking with Cheryl Bradshaw, the author of How to Like Yourself, A Teen's Guide to Quieting Your Inner Critic and Building Lasting Self-Esteem. Now, before we go any farther, Cheryl, I know that um, our listeners are going to want to buy the book, find out more about you, um, access your website. How would folks do that? Yeah, so the book is available in the States at Barnes & Noble. Um, It's also in Canada at Chapters and Indigo. It's available on Amazon, amazon amazon.com.ca. There's an audio book available as well through Audible or also on Amazon, which is is very fun. Um, It's it's very uh, surreal hearing someone else reading my my book. It's very (laughs) cool. Okay, that's and, great. And um, ebook version as well, also available on um, on Amazon and um, through all those major distributors. And then my website is at www.cherylmbradshaw. So Cheryl M M stands for Michelle. So Cheryl M Bradshaw dot com. And on there, I have a blog, and I have a um, there's an app that actually goes along with the book as well. Um, the app is called Positive U, Positive, and then the letter U. And the app kind of helps you keep track of some of the exercises that go along in the book. It's free to download, even if you don't um, end up buying the book, if you end up Great. borrowing the book or whatever, you can also get the, the app as well. Um, and there's also information about my own uh, counseling services and private practice on there. Also, I have uh, a Facebook page as well as uh, an Instagram page. 
Um, so lots of different ways to kind of uh, keep in touch and, and follow along with what's happening with the book. And uh, you can also reach me by email, which is Cheryl M. Bradshaw at gmail.com as well. Terrific. Oh, great. I didn't even realize there was that app, Positive View. Oh, I love the idea. Sounds good. So somebody's working with that and they're reading the book or even better, maybe listening to it. And so how do we deal with what hits many of us right in the head when we're teens or young adults? And that is, how do we deal with the rejection or fear of rejection when it comes to dating? Absolutely. So this is, this is that last section of the book that I put in um, about the future. Because then what I was finding with, as working with students, we'd do all this work, we'd go through the past, we'd work through these strategies in the present... And then we get to this future part where, okay, now you kind of have this tenuous, new Bambi legs on ice kind of relationship (laughs) with yourself. And, you know, it can be really scary. Like, even if you're starting to feel comfortable with you, now what if someone else doesn't like you? You've put all this work in and it's sort of like you put all this hours into, you know, a school project or something and then after a class presentation and then, well, if you get a bad mark, like it's that same kind of anxiety of this almost creation you've made in, in this um, relationship with yourself, that it can be really scary to take that kind of public, as it were. Mm-hmm. So I'd have a lot of students, you know, go out and start to, to try some of these things that we talk about in the future of how to start living the life that you want to live and, and doing so in a positive way with yourself. And then they'd sort of hit this brick wall of, of you know, especially when it comes to dating, that they'd put themselves out there and, and someone wouldn't be interested, that they would, you know, get that rejection and kind of the whole house of cards would sometimes come tumbling down at that point. And we'd have to do sort of this work on going back and then stepping forward again on, on how do you understand that rejection? So rejection, you know, the book talks about how obviously, I mean, it's, it's sort of one of those, you know, kind of obvious things, but sometimes just needs to be said is that it, it really does happen to everyone and it happens a lot to everyone, even the right. people that you think it doesn't happen to, it happens to them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's sort of that Facebook highlight reel is people don't post that, you know, like, oh, I got rejected again by right. the, the fourth girl, you know, you're not going to hear about those things. So when you're thinking about rejection and, and, and what it means is first just understanding it as a concept of why it happens and even things like the statistical frequency of how it happens and and kind of coming to peace with the fact that some of it really just has to do with common standards of, of what's most common in, in, in life, things that people are commonly attracted to that really have nothing to do with worth or value in any way, shape, or form. It's just a statistical frequency. So kind of understanding that, and then understanding, too, around um, the difference of when you do have a rejection happen, there's this tendency we have to go completely and fully into our own brains that um, we see it only from this unidirectional position of almost uh, sort of a victim feeling that the book kind of asks you to step up and out and, and look from the other direction that, you know, you've also probably been in a position where you've rejected someone or maybe mm-hmm. you didn't want to be friends with that guy or that girl or maybe you didn't want to date that person and you know, nine times out of ten, probably ten out of ten, it's not because the other person is a horrible person or or can't be loved or has no inherent worth or value or any of those things. 
And when you think back to times where you've maybe been the one to do the rejecting, it can sometimes make this whole process feel a little bit more natural. Like, oh, yeah, it's it's not that I'm worthless or that this, you know, true self that I've developed in this relationship with myself isn't something of value and isn't worth pursuing and, and you know, keeping it going. It's it's really just this this thing that happens in life that doesn't have anything to do with overall worth and value. So that's an mm. important message. Mm. It, it's so interesting when people start to share and, and the, as therapists we've heard it, once you get the inside story on, you know, someone saying, so I, I was watching this guy with the blue eyes. He asked everybody else out. He was the best. He looked the best. He looked the best. And then the person and feels terrible meets someone who has a fabulous sense of humor and makes them feel wonderful. And it dawns on them. Blue eyes don't make you feel wonderful. But somebody who really gets you and laughs with you that's the match. And I think you even say in the book, we seem to accept the fact more easily when someone has a different like, like they don't, you like music, they don't. You love running, they hate it. They love skiing, you don't want to be in the cold. You know, you, you're you a very um, kind of private person. They want to be the clown of the party. Very often we accept, once we look closely, why, E, would I even want that person to accept me? Maybe it made sense that we didn't match up. Rather than seeing it as rejection, I think you use a wonderful term, Cheryl, when you say, how about we think of dating and rejection not as personal rejection, but just as a matter of fit? Exactly. That is a a term that comes up time and time again when I'm working with People, even even you know, people in my own personal life yes. of, of thinking about um, you know future relationships and current relationships. That when there are breakups or when there are rejections, that you know it's not that either one person did anything wrong or said anything wrong or, or even necessarily should have done anything differently. You know, so long as it's not anything to do with you know cheating or lying or those things. But in terms of you know who people are and and how much you like to talk and how much you like to be outgoing and do activities, and if the other person isn't jiving with that, it doesn't mean that you're wrong for liking those things, right? It's it's really mm-hmm. about just fit, and you want the person who appreciates that about you. You're gonna, you're, you know, you're gonna have one person in your life who thinks you're really annoying for how much you want to text and talk to them, and and later on, you're gonna have someone else who thinks that's adorable and really appreciates how that right. makes them feel, right? Right. One other thing you said in the book that I don't, I, I can't underscore enough is that usually the most attractive person in the room is the person with self-confidence. And having had sons and seeing, um, you know, boys fear rejection as much as girls and then seeing boys and girls together it would often be someone you would never think, oh, this would be like a TV star. No, but someone who was friendly and carried out a sense of self-confidence, they were always the most popular or the most sought after. And it's it's that self-confidence that you talk about so much in this book, meaning self-confidence for many different traits, and they can be the most popular type of traits or very different traits, but confidence is extremely attractive to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can be 
anyone. You can be interested in anything. You can be way out in left field. You can be mainstream. You can be tall, short, big, small. You can be literally anyone. And if you have this solid, confident relationship with yourself, this solid ground you're standing on, this ability to make it through the ups and downs with yourself in that positive and and helpful and supportive relationship and environment, um, you know, you can, you can be anyone and, and you will, you will find your person, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. it takes a few swings and it does for everyone, but there's, you know, if you can develop that confidence, you, you're going to find your person. You're going to find it even if you don't have the super best confidence in the world. If you have some confidence in yourself, you're going to find that person and just having that belief that you're going to get to where you want to get to um, and keeping up, keeping up that belief and, and, and it'll definitely all come together. I've seen it time and time again. Even when what people are, have fully believed, hands down, it will never happen. It happens. Right. What, what, one of the things that I suggest, because I want teens to know, you know, in this day and age, people are dating at every age, whether they're 70, they're 50, they're 40, everybody's nervous. Everybody's afraid of rejection. So you start to try to consider different ways of taking this whole dating thing on. And a really good way is to think of it as a process. Not that I have to find Prince Charming, although every fairy tale has given us that story, but rather that it's a process and I'm going to meet a lot of different people. And rather than go into it like, will he like me? Won't he like me? Will she like me? Go into it curious. Um, what did I find out about a person like this? Or how do I see myself in the eyes of a person like this? Or is that really how women act? Or I've never met a man like this. That is, if you go into it curious, almost as if you were doing a survey, rather than as a test of your own sense of worth, you change the dynamics. And you often lower your anxiety. I mean, if you, one person was going to go to Paris alone and she couldn't imagine how everyone's supposed to go to Paris with a lover or a husband. I said, well, go curious as if you were writing a book on Paris and let's see what happens. And as soon as you give yourself that kind of permission, you change the stakes of it all and the level of anxiety. And you can really embrace the kind of things you've been sharing with people, Cheryl. That's such a a valuable word there, Suzanne, and and just how you're thinking about relationships, that word curious is, is just really resonates, I think, with um, what I've seen and, and, and what is sort of necessary to get through those tough and anxiety moments of not being sure, um, because it's those, those moments of not being sure where the inner critic can really start to take hold and tell you, well, if you're not sure, then something must be wrong. If something's wrong, then, you know, you're not going to be successful. And, you know, if he doesn't like you, it means no one will ever like you. And it starts to sound like that. So for those moments of, of anxiety where that comes up, I, I would just echo that completely, what you just said of, you know, be curious and take that pressure off because it's, it really is, like you said, a, a process. Great. And if you're, you're curious and you have your own self as your own best friend next to you, I, don't, I think you're in pretty good shape. Um, I, we're going to have to close for today. I want to thank you, Cheryl, for the message you shared. It was rich. It was valuable. And I actually think it was valuable to folks of any age listening to our show. So I thank you for coming on. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure today. Oh, oh, thanks again. Um, I want to thank my listeners. Um, You can hear this and any prior show as a podcast on my host site, on my website, on the apps, on your iPhone, on iTunes, on Sketcher. There's many ways to hear this show and all the shows that we've had and the shows coming up. Um, Please feel free to drop me a comment or a question. Some folks are doing it. It's so interesting at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. And remember, until next week, take care, thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week.